Every one of us is somewhere on the continuum of every personality disorder. By nature of being a human being, we are narcissistic. Yeah, I'm checking out every one of these, and I'm yeah. like, okay, Doc, uh, <laughs> no, I, I've hit the trifecta. I've, uh, no, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm not to joke, but but I, I like that you put this no, something it, we all... It's a good point. It's helpful to understand that, yes, you will see, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got a little bit of that, but that's the operative word, little, little bit, bit of it. Is it causing significant distress in your life? Is it causing distress for the other people in your life? If the answer is no, then... You don't have a disorder. It's time for another edition of Valley Health Check with Horizon Health. We always recommend going to myhorizonhealth.org to get some information with the great folks there. And we encourage you to check back to some great timely episodes here with Valley Health Check. And of course, to get us started with uh, today's topic, please welcome Aaron Frank. Aaron, Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. I am very pleased to have with me today Dr. Bill Elliott. Dr. Elliott is a licensed clinical psychologist with 45 years of behavioral health experience. So we are really, really excited to, to have him on our panel today. Doctor, do you want to get us started by just giving a, I, I know there's a lot there, but a brief overview of your your career and, and the background that you bring for this episode today? Well, by all means, Erin, thank you. And uh, it's great to be here and uh, seize an opportunity to talk about mental health. And uh, my career up until just uh, October of 2021 was exclusively in the criminal justice domain and more specifically in the world of prisons and jails. Uh, I uh, worked with the federal prison system, the Indiana prison system, the Illinois prison system, and even to this day do some consulting with um, the National Commission on Correctional Health Care. And I never really thought that I would ever work outside of that domain. But then things happened, and all of a sudden, I joined the wonderful team at Horizon Health, and it has been uh, fantastic uh, working with people there, both uh, patients and also employees and their immediate family members through the Employee Assistance Program. We're up to around uh, 47 years now of working in the field. And That's impressive. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And uh, I have no plans on stopping anytime soon. Well, I don't think you should. And, and you know, we listen to that, your extensive career as we, we go into talk about mental and behavioral health. I guess, what are they? What are the And are difference? they one and the same? Yeah. What are the difference? Yeah. Behavioral health is a, is a more recent term. Mental health is the traditional. And some would argue that they're one and the same. Others would suggest that behavioral health focuses a little bit more on observable behaviors and strategies, for example, parents can use with positive and negative reinforcement. But basically, both take a look at helping people understand their problems of daily living, things that are working and things that are not working, and providing very, uh, in most cases, very concrete and specific strategies for making changes. Gone are the days of long-term treatment, psychoanalysis, and now it is much more what are the specific problems you're having and what mental and behavioral strategies can we suggest that might help you adapt a little better? That's great. So what are the diagnoses? What are the words that we hear um, that roll back up to behavioral health? Uh, Depression, I imagine, uh, anxiety, what what's the, the kind of the punch list of things that roll up into that behavioral health 
umbrella? Well, uh, we'll start with the, thing, with the uh, diagnoses that are a little bit uh, less frequent, but, but because of their nature are often in the public's eye, starting with schizophrenia, which is one of a family of um, thought disorders, sometimes referred to as psychotic disorders. And this really is a brain disease where the individual uh, is subject to hallucinations. They hear voices. They see things that other people don't see. There are often delusions when there, which are false beliefs. There's no evidence. I believe that the CIA uh, has a secret file on me and black ops helicopters are circling over my home. Those kinds of beliefs. Then we have bipolar disorder which statistically is not as common as we would think based on media. Oh, yeah. The the media reports kind of give, it's almost taught us to believe bipolar is kind of the norm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, and it's very slangy. It it, it really Um, is. Which is probably really not politically correct. Probably not. It's probably very disrespectful. Uh, I would think so, yeah. But it is incredibly slangy. So I would assume that that would be one of the things that people are more familiar with when it comes to behavioral health. Because a true bipolar disorder really is a very scary and dangerous disorder. It carries a a high risk for suicide. The individual experiences just an incredible burst of energy. Now, this is uh, in the manic phase. The reason it's called bipolar is because there are literally two opposite poles. Right. Extreme energy and a sense of euphoria, powerful, a sense of powerfulness to the degree of almost being superhuman. Some of our great thinkers have come up with some of their most brilliant ideas in manic phases, mm-hmm. uh, but the problem is that it just goes too far and they start engaging in reckless behavior. A lot of pathological gamblers suffer from bipolar disorder and in manic phases will just jump on a plane and on a whim, fly to Vegas, and lose thousands of dollars of money. Spending recklessly, uh, shopping sprees are, are very common, but the creativity is phenomenal. But then there has to be at least one episode of deep, dark, major depression where the individual is essentially unable to get out of bed, unable to function. Uh, dark, gloomy thoughts, everything that we associate with the worst case of depression. When they start to get better and become more manic, then they start feeling good, and then we talk with them about taking... There are a number of medications that are extremely helpful for this disorder, but oftentimes the person doesn't want to take them because they they don't want to miss out on the good stuff of mm-hmm. being manic. The euphoric have, side. Yes, I've and that actually I did not put that together before, and it so makes sense. So how do you deal with them not wanting to take their medication when you know it is so important? We encourage, we nudge, we, we get their family involved to help monitor. Uh, We reinforce, we do everything we can, but we're up against a pretty tough uh, challenger because that euphoria is second to none. 
the other thing that I would mention is that with bipolar disorder, when the individual comes out of the state uh, stage of depression and starts to feeling better, suicidal thoughts that he or she has had, are they're more subject to act on them as they move out of the depressive state. And this is one of the, interesting. the, the great... super interesting and terrifying. Well, it is terrifying because, and even as a psychologist, I was trained originally to always look for depression to spot suicidal thoughts and although there is a high risk for depressed people one type of bipolar disorder which is called bipolar 2 disorder which means that sometimes there's hypomania which is a level below extreme mania a lot of rapid speech pressured speech a lot of restlessness those individuals as they come out of depression are at very high risk to kill themselves because again they start to have enough energy to act on suicidal thoughts so we have to pay attention to people especially agitation agitation is one of the big signals that we can look at so it when someone is diagnosed everybody in the family needs to really study and i like bringing family members in so that they can hear the same thing that i would share with 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 a patient yeah super helpful because they've got to be on the same page and um, when you get them involved that's a significant adjunct to treatment other disorders that we that are common anxiety disorders Mm. There's generalized anxiety disorder, which is basically excessive worrying, constantly preoccupied with worst case scenarios. A word we use a lot in treatment is catastrophizing. Mm, You know, that mm -hmm. people literally, that make mountains out of molehills. Worst case scenario thinking for everything. And that is a miserable way to kind of- Tiring. Oh my goodness. It is exhausting. In fact, I had a patient just the other day who was telling me how exhausted she felt the night before because she'd spent hours obsessing about dying from, um, actually dying from COVID. And it's a one of the more frequently diagnosed disorders, major depressive disorder we've already talked about. And then of course, the family of personality disorders, which are mental disorders but without the component that we would find in schizophrenia, for example. A personality disorder is a fixed way of behaving and interacting with the world, which causes significant problems in interpersonal relationships. So we mentioned the borderline personality disorder, there's the antisocial personality disorder, uh, the obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different from OCD, which is a frequently- Slang again. Flying again as a popular diagnosis. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is someone who's preoccupied with rules, regulations, details, structure, order, and in some occupational settings, it actually is, um, if you're gonna have a, a disorder, that's not a bad one to have. But when you reach the point where it be it becomes perfectionism and when you try to get family members or other people in the office setting to be as compulsive as you are, then it's a real problem. When you start talking about 
the management of these disorders and the treatment of these disorders. It seems like there are common themes that are incredibly important regardless of diagnosis. That I couldn't, that's well stated, Erin. I find that in almost every case, I used to say every, but shouldn't use absolute. <laughs> you know, I, I try to teach my patients not to use absolutistic terms, so I, I have to practice what I preach. In almost every case, there is a primary relationship where the individual's need for love and belonging is not being fully satisfied. And that is as true for a schizophrenic person as it is for a depressed person. And so we zero in on the relationship. And sometimes we find that there are certain relationships that are beyond salvaging. Mm -hmm. And so then we work with the patient to understand that sometimes we have to philosophically accept that we can't do anything to make it better. In most cases, there is repair that can be done. And I always start with having the patient look at what he or she is doing or not doing, because that's the only thing over which they have control. Mm -hmm. Despite our greatest attempts, we really can't force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. And if they do, it's done with resentment, and then they will rebel the first chance they get. And that's as true for adults as it is for for kids. So the relationship. Then there are common themes of irrational beliefs, whether it is I'm an inadequate, incompetent person, uh, nobody loves me because I'm unlovable, or whether it's, let's say, someone with a narcissistic personality disorder who thinks I am the most important person and I deserve a standing ovation when I walk into a room and requires admiration from everybody and makes life miserable for others. There is some evidence that if you take the antisocial personality disorder, which, you know, about 50 to percent or more of uh, jail and prison inmates are diagnosable with antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality, put them together. Those individuals will have created havoc in the lives of about half of the American population, which is around 165 million people. And those two categories account for maybe five to seven percent of the American population. Wow. But disrupt the lives of others. So personality disorders are often forgotten about, but will, you'll have someone who may have a bipolar disorder, but also have an underlying personality disorder and then if that's not enough, if there is a substance use disorder thrown in, then we have a real mixed bag of problems. And what we find is that uh, we can't work on them separately because they, they influence each other. So from a holistic standpoint, whatever it is they bring, we work on everything simultaneously. Circle back for me just a minute. Those two people who are opposite people, and they're, they were what now? They're, they're 5 to 7% of the population. The anti-social. Anti a social personality okay. disorder, someone who is constantly at war with yes. rules and regulations. Yes. And then the, the narcissist, narcissist who, who believes that he or she is a superior person mm -hmm. and should be admired and people should do their bidding. Okay. Can they heal each other? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I Very just wondered, though, I just I wondered when you, when you started talking about in the prison system and yeah. I thought you were going to tell me that you pair prisoners, you know, based on if I have a narcissist and, uh, you know, one from the other end of the spectrum, 
that they are Somehow so starkly blended. opposite yeah. that they can learn almost from one another. Well, the reality is... That would that be interesting, right? That would be. It would, except that their symptoms overlap significantly. Okay. Both have a great sense of entitlement. Now, the narcissist, interestingly enough, doesn't really flout authority as long as he or she is getting... The, the they need praise the, the praise but the antisocial personality disorder will accept no limits on what he or she can do and that's where we run into trouble eventually getting involved with criminal justice system so interesting let's say there's someone listening to this podcast they hear the description of some of these disorders and they're like whoa you just pegged me what do you suggest for someone that might want to seek some more information or some help along these lines of these disorders? Well, and that's when a little knowledge is a really dangerous thing. Right, right, Because right. there will be, every one of us is somewhere on the continuum of yes. every personality disorder. By nature of being a human being. Right. We are narcissistic. Yeah, I'm checking out every one of these, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, okay, Doc. Uh, <laughs> all right, I've hit the trifecta. I've uh, no, I, yeah. It, it, yeah. I'm not to joke, but but I, I like that you put this as no, something it, we all. It's a good point because that that's important to understand is that all of us have a little bit of antisocial uh, bent to us because we sometimes don't like a lot of the rules that govern our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And. Uh, it, it's helpful to understand that, yes, you will see, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got a little bit of that. But that's the operative word, little, little bit, bit of it. Is it causing significant distress in your life? Is it causing distress for the other people in your life? If the answer is no, then you don't have a disorder. Right, right. And that's very good. I'm glad you brought that out. Yeah, but that's a great question because that's a temptation to look at it and see, oh my God, I, uh, I've got issues. <laughs> yeah. What about some of the other words that maybe aren't mental health disorders, but seem to, again, kind of roll up? Things like stress or anger, uh, you know, those are, I guess, more individual character traits, but are those key in, in the mental health arena or a mental health diagnosis? They are. And starting with anger, uh, anger is one of the core emotions that was evolved uh, in our species that gives us energy to take on challenges, gives us a feeling that something uh, is not happening justly or fairly in our lives. It can be a catalyst for taking action to right a wrong. So uh, up to the point that it doesn't, again, cause mm-hmm. distress. Sure. It is an emotion, a universally felt emotion. Where anger becomes problematic is with this issue in mental health that cuts across all disorders, and that's emotional regulation. Whether it's the inability to manage anxiety, the inability to um, manage depressed mood, or whether the inability to manage anger, that's when we have a problem. So we, we approach it if there is a problem with emotional dysregulation. Stress is the body's and the mind's response to stressors, which are those thoughts in some cases, but typically external events that uh, trigger the stress response. And then all kinds of hormonal and biochemical things kick in, and um, then we often manage them in inappropriate ways with especially poor eating, not exercising, not getting enough sleep. So it then can become 
a problem. But in and of itself, stress is natural and, and wouldn't be considered a disorder. Does stress then, is that something, we talked a little bit earlier about validation. Mm -hmm. Is that something to be validated? Or is there ever a time to say, hey, I'm going to do you a favor and be very honest with you. And right now you need to buck up. Is there a place for that? Or That is a tricky one because too often we go to buck up put on the big boy pants or the big girl pants too fast. We can get to that, but the very, and this is one of the things about mental health treatment that I think is important for listeners to understand. There are numerous approaches to counseling and psychotherapy. Many of them are evidence-based and they're great, but the universal is you have to have a relationship, a rapport with the individual before you can use any strategy. So I spent a lot of time just getting to know my patients and letting them know a little bit about me because I have to come across as a real person with my own foibles. But then and only then would I start nudging them in the direction of doing something um, that they don't want to do or that's hard for them. Real quick, what's the difference between counseling and psychotherapy? Or is that a deep, deep, real deep question? You know, know, it can be a deep question, but basically it's whatever the patient prefers. If someone comes into me and says, I'm here for therapy, great. If they're here for counseling, great. Psychotherapy really is a bit of an outdated term if you okay. think back decades to when psychoanalysis psychoanalysis was was in vogue people did psychotherapy because okay. they were seeking deep seated causes. I don't worry much about causes of problems mm-hmm. because first of all, we can never really be sure. Genetic, social, uh, mm-hmm. peer influences, there's so many factors that go into mental disorders, it's a guessing game. Nothing's going to show on an x-ray. It no. won't. No. There is no lab test for it, but what we do know is you're having problems of daily living right now and that's what we'll focus on. Call it counseling, call it therapy, it makes no difference. You're in here. You're in here, and that's the most important thing. Right. Mental health, it is uh, uh, something we need to talk more about, and that's why we appreciate you, uh, Dr. Elliot, for, for bringing up a wonderful conversation. Aaron, thanks for bringing this great doctor in here. Of course, Valley Health Check, you can find us right here. Some important topics. Tell your friends, share it. It's a learning experience. You can always go to Horizon Health and get more information at myhorizonhealth.org. Uh, this has been Valley Health Check. Doctor, thanks so much for being in here. We appreciate you. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, guys.